Good morning, family. My name is Troy. I'm one of the servants here. I want to welcome you. If you're new or visiting with us this morning to our gathering, we are in week four of a series that we're calling Fighting Wild Beasts. As we're talking about the radical impact of the resurrection of Jesus, something that we should be celebrating not just on uh, Resurrection Sunday, but every single day. Some of you who know our family, the Lather family, know that when, we, when it comes to holidays, we try to be really intentional about what we do on holidays. We want our kids to understand uh, what we're doing for each holiday. And we have these things that we do. And one of, the, there's some, one of the holidays is obviously Resurrection Sunday. And we have a number of things that we do. Two of the specific things that we do on Resurrection Sunday are we fly kites and we plant seeds. We fly kites because obviously the imagery of Jesus rising from the grave, and when there's not enough wind, we have to go over to, to Lake Michigan. It just happens, okay? But then we also plant our garden seeds. We put them uh, in something like this and put them in the picture window in, in the front of our, our house, and then with a little bit of warmth, a little bit of water, a little bit of sunlight, give it a little, give it a little bit of time, and this is, these beauties right here pop up, right? I am hoping to transplant these uh, pretty quick because they're going to outgrow, outgrow this. Now, the imagery of, of a kite is fairly, the metaphor there is pretty, pretty clear, right? Jesus rising. But the, this imagery of a seed and the planting of seed is one that Paul, the Apostle Paul himself uses and uses specifically in the chapter that we are going through to help us get our minds wrapped around the resurrection. And so as we turn there this morning and we dig into this letter, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in chapter 15, verse 35, and we're going to talk about this seed and what it looks like. So I'd encourage you to grab a Bible and turn to page 815. The Bibles are underneath the chairs in front of you. I would strongly encourage you to grab one of those and open it up. There's a, there's a chunk of scripture we're going to go through. would love to have you read along with me as we do that. And if you're here this morning and this is maybe the first time you're jumping into this, you're going, I'm not even sure if I remember what Corinthians is. It's a letter that the apostle Paul, a guy named Paul, wrote Paul was actually a guy who at one point hated Christians, was actually like a terrorist, trying to eliminate Christians, met the resurrected Jesus Christ. His life was completely turned upside down by that encounter, and he became one of the greatest ambassadors of Jesus in history for the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ. And he would go everywhere and tell people about Jesus when they heard the message. Many people believed the message of Jesus and his resurrection, and they formed what was called families of faith that we call ecclesia, that we call the church who we are today in this room. And after Paul would do that in different places, he would still try to stay in touch. He didn't have Twitter back then, and so he'd, he'd send a letter. And what we have in 1 Corinthians is one of those letters to try to continue to instruct them in the ways of Jesus. Now in chapter 15, Paul makes a case about the resurrection. The whole chapter is about resurrection because he's saying, look, the resurrection of Jesus is so critical that if you take away the resurrection, he says, your faith is futile and, and what I'm saying to you is completely useless. Our preaching is, is useless. Now when we get to verse 35, Paul's going to make a, a case for the resurrection from a different angle this morning. Because what had happened was the Corinthians had gotten a little hung up on how someone was bodily resurrected. And that was causing them to question the, the, the if or the that it would happen. And so he takes it at a different angle here and talks about the body. So let's see where he goes in chapter 15, verse 35. Why don't you stand with me as we read God's word together. I'm going to pray first. Father, thank you for your word. I ask that you would speak to us through the words that I am about to read more than anything I would say. Help me to get out of the way. Speak by your spirit, Lord. 
and do not return void that which you promised you would not. We pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said? All right, here we go. Chapter 15, verse 35, Paul writes this. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, what you, sorry, when you, sow you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, fish have another. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun of one kind, the moon another kind, the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. This is God's word. You can have a seat. Now before we unpack, there, there's a lot in here for me to unpack. Before we unpack it, I'm going to give you just one minute. Just one minute to, to look at this next slide. Here's what I want you to do. is I want you to look again at this first verse. But someone may ask, how were the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? All I want you to do is just turn and talk to someone near you and ask the, answer this question. If I died and I were to be resurrected, what do I think my body would be like? Okay, I want us to set us into the stage of where, where Paul's entering in here. So just turn and talk for a minute about that question to someone near you. Go ahead. So if you're, if you're in the room, what, what I heard was, I'm going to be younger. <laughs> right? And now I'm wondering if any of you who are younger are like, I'm going to be older. Right? I, I would imagine there's some interesting conversations going on to ask this question. Like what, we, you know, trying to get our heads wrapped around this. 
And I want to jump into Paul's line of thinking here. That's the, that's the question that was at hand. Is like, okay, how does this whole bodily resurrection work? Okay, Paul? In Corinth, those who were there, were, there were some who were denying the possibility of bodily resurrection because what they were doing is they were saying, look, this physical body and the idea of a spiritual existence, it, they don't, it's like oil and water. They can't mix, right? So they're just saying, hey, I don't know, Paul, how that works. And so because I don't know how that works, I'm not sure that it happens or that it works. Because they were thinking it's like oil and water. They're incompatible. And I don't think it's that hard for us to, 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 to get into that line of thinking, right? Because how many of you want to be like, oh yeah, the bodily res- resurrection, that sounds kind of weird. Like, what is that, zombie? Like, is that walking dead kind of thing, right? She's like, how does that work? Even if you see one of your loved ones in a casket, for example, and you all have maybe something that comes to mind, there you have this image, because you remember those things. No matter how well the funeral home has done at preserving them, they don't look the same, right? And the idea of having them resurrect from that last image you had, you were like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't want that. No thank you, okay? And if someone passed away a long time ago, then that makes that even worse. This, uh, this past week I had a chance to, I had a three-day training um, in sort of like chaplaincy work, want to be better equipped to come alongside our uh, law enforcement officers and uh, firefighters in the city. And so as part of the, the training, one of the sessions that we went through was called Compassionate Death Notifications. Whether you recognize this or not, a lot of times our law enforcement officials have to, to go to someone's home and give them the most worst, the, like the worst possible news you could ever imagine. So, so not something that you'd think anyone wants to, nobody wants to do that. But as part of the training, there was a slide on like what not to do. And the instructor told the story of a young field officer, field training officer who was out and had to do their first death notification. And everything was going well. He, he was doing a great job until he said, he said, when would you like to be able to view the carcass? And you're like, oh, like I have so much empathy because that, I don't want to do that, Right. Um, but man, you didn't shoot a deer, you know, like this, this is a human body that we're talking about, right? And so again, I have empathy for anyone who's having to say that, but you're like, we don't, right? Like carcass, that's not how we refer to a dead body, a human body. But again, this gets us into the mindset of what Paul's wrestling with here. Um, Professor David Garland puts it this way in this next slide. The objectors cannot imagine how a new body fit for the glorious spiritual experience of the next world could arise from a carcass. Because if you boil it down, that's kind of, they're like, hey, this doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. And, and even the Corinthians were apparently struggling with this because they were, if you back up in the, this letter to chapters like 12, 13, 14, you're going to hear a lot of talk around spiritual gifts. Prophecy, being able to, people were being able to speak in different languages, those kinds of things. And what was happening is that the Corinthians were thinking, you know what, uh, we're, we're so spiritual that like, we don't even need our bodies anymore. In fact, our bodies are the only thing that's getting in the way of us experiencing like, the, the truest sense of spirituality. And Paul's like, uh-uh. Jesus rose from the dead bodily, and so will we. And so will we. And so he anticipates the question, he asks it himself, and he says, look, let's say, let's say someone asks, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body? That's where he, he goes. And so he turns to the seed to make a point here. 
And he, he says this. He says, how, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. In each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Okay, so I have uh, an illustration here. I need a volunteer. I'm going to pick on somebody. And have you, instead of having you come up, I'll come to you. Let's see, Tina, you're right here. All right, so Tina, I have seeds in my hand. Just tell me what those seeds are. What kind of seeds are those? No clue. No clue. (laughs) Okay. Bob, how about you? You know a lot more about seeds than Tina, obviously. Sure I do, but yeah, not a clue. Not a clue. Okay, (laughs) so we've got lettuce. We've got some basil. We've got, um, there's four different seeds in here. And and, and the reason that we, we... I use this illustration is, you, you can't tell for the most part. Now, if I had pumpkin seeds, maybe you'd be like, oh, it's a pumpkin seed, right? Okay, you, you can't tell. Maybe you're a botanist, you could tell, or really into gardening, you might be able to tell the difference, but most seeds do not even remotely resemble the plants that they will eventually grow into. So when the seed goes into the ground, what goes in and what comes out looks completely different. Does that make sense? Okay, you don't, you know, you don't plant this thing, this is, these are zucchini and squash, you don't plant that, you plant a seed that looks different from that. Now when you came in, I hope you grabbed some seeds. Did you grab some seeds in the back? Do you guys not read the signs? Read the signs. It says, take some of these. If you have them, I'd like you to, to pull them out and put them in your hand. Because this is part of what Paul's literally kind of doing in his illustration as he says this. Okay, there's seeds that were in the back. Does anyone want to guess what kind of seeds those are? What is it? Does anyone know? Did anyone grab seeds? Okay, thank you, Brenda. All right. Okay, okay, moving forward. When you come in, there's tables there. Can you look at those? They're literally there, so you almost run into them. So, so this, these, are, these are oat seeds. Okay, I have a big bag of them at home for like winter wheat and coverage in the garden. And Paul's like, look... If you want to understand how the resurrection works, you hold a picture of it in your hand right now. These seeds, you hold them in your hand. This is a picture. He's like, just look at how God orchestrated the natural order of plant life. God's given us all these amazing images of the resurrection in the natural order around us. The seeds goes into the ground. It's subject to forces outside of their control, light, heat, rain, water, and then it's transformed. These are transformed. So will it be with a bodily resurrection from the dead. Because in verse 38 it says, God gives it a body just as he wished. Those who are in Christ will be resurrected in bodily form. Not like like zombies, okay? And not like floating ghosts either. You know, think about this. When Jesus was resurrected, he was eating. Not because he was hungry, but because apparently he could eat. There's a feast in eternity. Not because people are hungry, but because they can experience taste. When Jesus was, was resurrected, people were touching his body. Like they touched him. His physical, they were able to touch him. Now, he was able to walk through walls too, so there is that. But I think that's the, that's the thing. Like, I don't know how that all works, but it's part of this transformation that takes place as the seed goes into the ground and comes out transformed, a different kind of glory, a different kind of 
splendor. And so Paul then continues on here in verse 38 to 41 to make his case by then moving from plant life to, to the rest of creation. And he says, look, all flesh isn't the same. You and I, our flesh is different from the beasts of the field. It's different from the birds of the air. It's different from the fish. It's different from the sun and the moon and the stars. They all have their own unique splendor and glory, and they're different from one another. And if those, those illustrations he gives like hit the back of your brain and you're like, that sounds somewhat familiar, it's because he's drawing from Genesis. When God created the heavens and the earth and he created the plant life and the vegetation according to their kinds. And he, and he then created the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, each according to their kind. This is what he does. He, he's referencing the resurrection or the new creation. Why would he not go back and reference the original creation? And he concludes in verse 42 with this statement. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead after he makes this case. So will it be. He's like, these bodies are different. And the same will be the case in the resurrection. There'll be a transformation. And as we see in this next slide, he highlights four different ways um, that they'll be different. They'll be sown perishable, raised imperishable. Sown in dishonor. And let me go through each of these. Let's start with sown perishable and raised imperishable. I don't think I have to convince any of you, at least that are of, of any kind of significant age, that we are sown perishable. Can I get an amen to that? Like, every, like I have to stretch now just to live. Right? Like when I get up, I'm like, oh, okay, better do life today. I did not have to use to do that. Okay? In fact, February, this last uh, February, I was out at Sunburst with my sons. Isaac was uh, snowboarding, and Ephraim was skiing, and I was skiing. And they had not yet gone down the other way, which is the double black diamond, as far as Sunburst has a double black diamond. Okay, it's not a double black diamond, but it's the steepest hill. They hadn't gone down it yet, so I was like, all right, boys, it's time for us to go down this thing. And so we ski up to the top of the, the other way, and we're looking down. I'm like, okay, this is definitely the steepest hill here. Okay, so I'm looking down. I'm going, all right, boys, here's what we're going to need to do. We're going to need to take this one tight, okay? So you're going to have to do some of this, all right? You're going to have to watch your edge. And I, just, I didn't just tell him. I'm like, Dad's going to go first. I'll show you how we got to do this. You can't just go screaming straight down this hill, okay? Like, it'll be bad. And so I go down, show him, get down to the bottom of the hill, turn around. You know, and I'm like, all right, boys. I get video, you know, take a video of it. Isaac comes down with the snowboard, does pretty good, you know, hits his edge a little bit. Um, and then Ephraim. And then Ephraim comes up. And I captured this on video. And we're going to look at it. Now, I asked him, son, can, we, can I show this? He's like, yeah, that's fine. So let's just take a quick look at Ephraim coming down the other way. Here he comes. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, some of you were like, I just, what just happened? Now, you might be like, Troy, why would you embarrass your son? I asked him. He said I could show it. And I actually don't share that to embarrass him. I share it to honor him. And the reason why is because you know what happened after he fell, up, fell down? He got up so fast it was like it didn't even happen. You, if I do that, I'm dead. <laughs> I break. That happens to me, I'm dead. And, and so I'm just saying, hey, we're, this body is sown perishable. Okay, praise God. In Christ Jesus, when we are transformed, as one goes, 
we will be raised imperishable. Okay, second one, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. What, what Paul's referring to there, it could be a couple different things, but I think it, it means basically we are sown in the brokenness of this world because of Adam. We now experience shame and guilt because of our sin. But because of the transformation that takes in Christ and his resurrection, placing our trust and faith in him, we will be raised in glory. Okay, that's the second one. Third one, weakness. Uh, we're sown in weakness. Again, kind of stating the obvious. We're just weak. There's weakness to us. Even this, I think about my dad. My dad is the strongest man that I have ever known. Okay, and again, I have maybe a, a bias there. But I remember growing up as a little boy on the farm and watching my dad do things that I thought like only forklifts were made to do. Okay, he's just so strong, works so hard. And he turns 86 this, this month. And, and he would admit, and he may be watching, uh, he's just not, he just doesn't have the same strength that he once had. We're, we're, our bodies are sown in weakness, but raised in power. In the power of Jesus Christ, by his work, we will be different and transformed. And, and lastly, sown natural, raised spiritual. And what I think Paul means here, again, lots of different interpretations about that. But I think it's talking about, look, we're sown in the, the natural order. We'll be raised in this, by the supernatural. Okay? So we're sown naturally, born by Adam, experiencing what we experience, but we'll be raised supernaturally. So he makes this case. And then in verse 45, he goes back to Genesis again, and he talks about comparing the first Adam with the last one, who's Jesus. He, he says this, he says, um, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. He's like, look, if you compare and contrast, the first Adam was given life by God. And he became a life, a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, he was a life-giving spirit. And so if we're in Christ Jesus, if we're in Adam, we're going to experience what we all experience right now, which you're all in Adam. That's why, we're, that's why i got to stretch in the morning. Because we're in Adam. But if, we, but if we are in Christ, supernatural will happen. In Christ, we will one day bear his image as well, bear his body, all that comes with it. Because Christ was above and before all creation, he entered into creation. And he did what Adam, the first one, could not do. He took on the perishable body, Jesus did. He took on the dishonor of the brokenness of this world, was yet weak without sin in the flesh, was the supernatural entering into the natural, so that those who trust in him would be raised with him in glory. I really like this quote that Sam Albury writes. And he says this, you don't bury a Christian, you plant them one day to arise in perfected physical glory. The next one, poet George Herbert also, I appreciate. Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel makes him just a gardener. Family, Paul here makes this case. Even though we may not be able to grasp how the bodily res resurrection happens, it doesn't change that it happens. And that those who are in Christ will be res res resurrected bodily, and that will be resurrected bodily in a way that we can't possibly fathom. And yet, something as simple as a seed gives us a glimpse. Gives us a glimpse. 
So besides being encouraged by this, like how can we apply this in our lives? I want to give you three applications for this text for those who are in Christ. Three things. Number one, first, I would, I would encourage you to maybe just take a look at your license. Um, you don't have to take them out now. You don't have time. But just take a look at your license at some point. And if there is not a little orange dot on the bottom right, I just want you to ask why not. That says organ donor. You will not need your organs. Well, what if my, I give my liver away? Jesus can't, am I going to be raised without a liver? Sorry, brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ, I mean, none of us should have not an, an orange dot on this. Because just our understanding of, of resurrection, someone, when you die, will, will need your organs. So anyway, just practical application. And I, I don't want to shame you if you don't. There may be reasons I don't understand why you wouldn't. But like, anyway, so donate your organs. Okay. Second, do you have your affairs in order? Do you have your affairs in order? If you were to die, do your loved ones know what your wishes are? Uh, about two weeks ago, Steph and I took the kids for like one night overnight to meet some friends down in Illinois. I had a little bit of a drive. And on the drive, we took out a document that was 25 questions that we, you know, about what we think about what's going to happen to us when we die. Don't all of you want to go on a road trip with the Lathers? I mean, come on. This is super fun. Okay. Hey, kids, here's what mom and dad want to happen when we die. But we want them to know. We want to have that conversation with them because I've just done enough funerals and dealt with this enough to know, like, hey, one really easy way to love your loved ones is to have these conversations. And what another amazing way to talk about life, death, resurrection, and the hope of the gospel than having these conversations. Because we, because of what we read in this passage, we don't have to be anxious and worried about death. We don't have to be anxious and worried about what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. We will be resurrected in glory. So uh, I put, a, I put a, a document together. I kind of edited a little bit, added some of my own questions, but it's out on the, on the table on your way out. 20 questions just to talk through with your loved ones and your health care agent or power of health care of attorney if you have one of those kind of things. So do you have your affairs in order? What a great opportunity to have that conversation. Those are really practical things. The last but not least application, my favorite one comes from verse 49. I think I have a slide of that, Nathan. Um, and just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Family, in other words, we look like Adam, we look like Eve, we've borne their likeness in our bodies. We've also borne their spiritual likeness, which means we've borne sin and selfishness, decay, We've borne this. Just like our forefathers, we've sinned, we've disobeyed God, we've turned from God, we've failed to trust in him. But because of Jesus, the last and perfect Adam, if we're in him, so shall we bear his likeness. The likeness of the man from heaven. Now you say, Troy, this is talking about the future consummation. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. This is talking about the future, the consummation. But I, I guarantee you that Paul has more in mind than just that. And his challenge to us, I think, would be, why would we wait to bear the image of the likeness of the man from heaven until then? Why would we not bear his image now to everyone, every day, everywhere that we go? Amen? To bear the image of the man from heaven. 
Family, how will you bear the likeness of Jesus today? How will you bear the likeness of the man of heaven today? As we think about what it looks like to bear the likeness of Jesus, there are a number of different ways, uh, probably an endless number of ways that that will look. We've talked about someone who's been praying with their, with their boss, had communion with their boss. We've uh, talked about what it looks like to serve refugees locally. We've talked about what it looks like to, to go into a juvenile detention center and, and serve uh, young ladies in that way. We talked to Saboch about that last week. Uh, this week I want to I give you another way to consider a couple weeks ago, I had a chance to go to the Dolphin Synchronized Swimming Show. Uh, good job, Nora. I see you right there. Got to see Nora and Bridget Files on the team. There's other, other uh, Kettlebrook family youth that are part of that. And it was really awesome. There, I was, had a chance to interact with a few folks. And I learned something about uh, a friend of mine that I didn't know. Um, and it is, some of you know who Lance Rell is. Lance Rell is the, the principal at Silverbrook Intermediate School. And I'm, I'm blessed to, to know Lance and get to spend time with him uh, but I didn't know that Lance had gotten his CDL, which is, you know, your license to drive bigger vehicles. And Lance had started to drive school bus. Okay? Uh, many of you know, I don't know if you know, people are, employers are having a hard time finding people. Did you know that? And retaining employees? Uh, school bus drivers are in the same boat. Can you imagine that? Crazy. So at the same time, for the past four to six month, months, we as elders and our wives have been praying about how can we serve and bear the image of Christ to the school district, which represents 6,000 children in this community. And so we were at a prayer retreat early morning, a couple weeks back in that room together, and out of that, we discovered perhaps a way to love, serve, and bear the likeness of Jesus Christ to our school district in a new way. And part of that uh, conversation was I wanted to have Lance come today and ask him a few questions. So can we give a warm Kettlebrook uh, welcome to Lance Rell. You can jump right up here, Lance. Have a seat, buddy. Thank you thanks, for being here. Thanks for having me, Troy. Yeah. Lance, um, what motivated you to get your CDL? I'm pretty sure you have enough going on. There, there are always a few things going on, right? But we were in an admin meeting a few years ago uh, with uh, the previous superintendent, and they were talking about the bus driver shortage. So, you know, administrators like to talk smart, and we're in this meeting, and we're like, oh, we should all get our bus, you know, our, our CDL licenses and do this. So we all talked big, and that's kind of where it was left. And then in November, you know, the, the shortage has continued, and I had a little bit of time, a little bit of time, so I thought, I, I'm going to try this. That was during COVID. It was during COVID. Yep, yep. yep, we had a little shutdown, so I'm like, this would be a perfect time to try this. And our transportation director had told me, oh, Lance, it's a piece of cake. I did it. No big deal. I'm like, okay, Nancy, I'm going to trust you. So I went ahead and did it, and it it's a process, mm -hmm. but... Um, the reason I did it initially was we have, well, we have kids who stay after school just about every day because they don't have someone to drive them home because we're short drivers. We have high school sports teams who have to, we have high school, high schoolers driving themselves to sporting events, you know, across the state, you know, doing that kind of thing too. So it was 
something that, you know, just kind of sits with me. Sure. And that, that kind of inspired me to get going. So from November until uh, the beginning of January, did a little bit of training, did a little bit of, there's a physical involved, but it's not too rigorous. Um, but ended up, yeah, getting my CDL. I was looking at my license. I've got my little donor okay, sticker you. on there. And thank then there's, they had a few more letters when you have your CDL on there. Okay, nice. So, yeah. So um, at, at now you've been driving bus. What are some of the challenges for, for bus drivers? Because, I mean, when, when, I, when I was on a bus, which was no fun, um, the bus driver didn't like something. He just slammed on the brakes. He went, <laughs> you know, everybody. I, I don't think you can do that anymore, right? Like, uh, it's not advised. Okay, okay. They, they didn't teach you that. No, no. So, so what are some of the challenges that the bus drivers are facing? Sure. Well, and I see some teachers in the audience, right? Teaching is a super tough job. But what's kind of interesting about teaching is that when you're teaching a class, you're facing the kids this way, right? When you're driving a bus... You're facing the kids this way. So all this stuff is happening behind you that, you, you know, you have a mirror up here, but you may not see everything. So that's certainly a challenge, you know, in and of itself. Um, I think one of the issues that we see right now is just consistency. You know, you all understand how important consistency mm -hmm. is with your kids. Yep. And because of the shortage of drivers, we have routes that have different drivers every day. And they might have a different driver in the morning, a different driver in the afternoon, and definitely lacking for consistency, which doesn't help kids in general. And it certainly doesn't help kids who might have additional struggles in their lives. Yeah. You know, so that, that consistency is a big part. Yeah, we have on the other side of that wall, it lands as the children's ministry, and we have intentionally people in the room almost every week just to keep that consistency. So, so in light of this, when we were praying, um, there's an idea that, that, we, that we think the Lord gave us that, we, that I proposed to Lance, and he liked it, and so I want to propose it to the Kettlebrook family. And the question is this. Talk about what it looks like to bear the likeness and image of Jesus. What would it look like if a bunch of us said, I I've got some time. I may be retired or I'm, I'm working part-time. I want to get my CDL. Or you might say, I don't know um, about driving, but maybe I could be what I'm going to call an ambassador. Clever. Yeah, yeah, an ambassador. And I'm just going to be present on the bus to create support for the driver and create a, potentially a kingdom culture. What would it look like, Kettlebrook family, if we had, if we had pairs where a driver and an ambassador would go out together and be available to serve what, what is not probably the most light place in, in, in the world, which is a school bus. If you've ever ridden one, you know it can be sometimes a hard place to be, right? What would it look like if we were able to do that? If we were get to, able to get a group together to pray before they even go to do this. Pray for the kids, pray for the drivers, and be present. So that's what I proposed to Lance. Lance liked that idea, and I want to present it to you. Now, Lance, how would this bless the kids, the bus drivers, the district, our community? Well, in short, it would just be, it would just be amazing for the district and for the kids who ride buses every day. Um, we've done a little bit of this. You know, we've ridden some buses. We've had other adults in the, the school ride buses, and to a person, I mean, it's really been, it's a positive experience. Kids love that interaction. And again, just knowing that there's an adult on the bus keeping eyes on things, 
makes a tremendous difference just in how the whole how the whole route goes. Like it's it's just positive all around. Yeah. And the drivers appreciate For sure. you know that support too. You know, a lot of them are new. You know, a lot of drivers are just starting, you know, in their careers and starting to do this. So a little bit of extra support like that goes a long way. Yeah. Lance, if, if someone's thinking, oh, man, maybe I could do that, but I'm hesitant. I have reservations because this might be really hard. Yeah? Like, yeah, what, I did what, too. How, how would you, what would you say to encourage them? Well, what's nice is you have two entry points, right? So the, the ambassador idea, you know, really is a chance to, to just get familiar with how things work on the bus and get comfortable with that. Um, if you've got a little bit of experience, maybe driving. At, I mean, the biggest thing I ever drove was I used to work for Peterson Brothers Moving, you know, a little moving truck. But that was definitely intimidating to start with. You know, buses are big. Yeah. But it really, and I'll, if you decide to participate in the training, day one, they've got you driving that bus and you're going down the street and here we go. Mm. And it, you just build that comfortability. I don't yeah. know if that's a word, but sure. we're going to use it. Um, but it, it just it just comes it just comes that way. So you have a couple different entry points okay. as far as that goes. And obviously, bus drivers would be paid. The ambassadors would not. Sorry, folks, would be volunteering. But um, that's the challenge. This is the challenge we want to hold out. Some of you might be like, I, I, Troy, I can't do that overseas thing. Troy, the Afghan thing that kind of weird. I, I can't get that my head around that. What about a school bus? What about if a handful of us? A dozen of us, 20 of us said, yeah, we want to do this. That's the challenge. Now, if you're here this morning, and, and that, we don't have anything laid out. Lance and I literally, this is all just theory right now. But if, if you are at all interested, with zero commitment, I would ask you to take out a Connect card in the seat back in front of you and just put your name, phone number, and the word bus on it and put it in the box in the back on the way out, the offering box. And what we'll do is we'll just get together those and we'll dream together. We'll pray together and say, what, is, what would this look like? So I would strongly encourage you to pray and say, Holy Spirit, are you speaking to me in this this morning? Am I one who could potentially do one of these two different roles? That's, that's, that's what our ask is this morning. So Lance, um, thank you for being here. I'm going to, if it's okay, I'd like to pray uh, for us and for this. So Father God, thank you for this day and thank you for this unique opportunity that you have before us that we might be able to bear the image of the man from heaven, Jesus Christ, our Savior, in this way. As a family, Father, if there is anyone in the room, Lord, that your, your spirit is impressing upon their heart a, a, a movement to step out Perhaps someone who just has a couple extra hours a day to do this. Lord, may they, may they say yes. May they put their yes on the table and may we figure out a way to support the district in this way and bring the image and likeness of Jesus Christ to the school buses of this, of this district. Father, we thank you for Lance and for him willing to, obviously, he, he's a servant at heart. He wants to serve the children. So we thank you for the ways that you are reflected in him in this because... He is the one who made himself nothing and took on flesh. And so, Father, thank you for Lance in this. I pray you bless his efforts in this. I pray that you'd bless our school districts, that you would, that you would speak into the lives of all 6,000 of those children by your Spirit. They would come to know you, to give their lives back to you for what you've done for them. And so we pray this for your sake and your glory. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, can we give Lance a hand? Thank you. Thanks, Lance. Praise God. Praise God.
What we're going to do now is we're going to um, transition to uh, turn and talk. And I think I have a slide here. Just a simple question. I want you to turn and spend a couple minutes talking through this. What is one way that you can bear the likeness of the man from heaven today, this week? Go ahead and turn and talk about this, and then we're going to sing and participate in the Lord's Supper together.